Well, it's Christmas time. It's getting that way. A little different this year. And, uh, but turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Let's begin reading with verse number 26. Now, I'm going to read this from two translations. You just can't read this passage too much. And we normally just read it during this month of December. But it's so important to our faith. Now, in the sixth month, beginning Luke chapter 1, verse 26, I'm going to read it this first time from the New King James Version. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Verse 29, But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Aren't you thankful about that? Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, let's, uh, that's the New King James Version. Most of us my age or older remember it in the King James Version. Let's read it now in a, in a lingo that we can, uh, our younger people, understand a little better. Look in the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Verse 29. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. December 2020, even in the midst of COVID, I love Christmas. How many of you love Christmas? In 1963, a songwriter by the name of George Wilde who also wrote the theme song for Gilligan's Island. Anybody remember Gilligan's Island? And that theme song, 
He wrote a Christmas tune. George Weil was the writer of that theme song. He also wrote a Christmas tune. And he wrote it for Andy Williams' Christmas album. Anybody remember Andy, Andy Williams, that crooner of his age? Romantic, debonair guy he was. Moon River. Anybody remember him singing Moon River? Uh, he had a Christmas album that sold thousands. And uh, the featured song on that Christmas album, written by George Weil, was the song entitled, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Since that song has been written, it has singly been recorded by Johnny Mathis, Amy Grant, Vince Gill, Garth Brooks, Paul Anka, the band Chicago, Harry Connick, and many, many more. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now almost 60 years old, this secular Christmas tune stands as one of the most enduring Christmas songs of all the age. In fact, it is considered in the top 10 Christmas songs of all time. Do any of you know the Christmas song that is sold more than any other single song that ever has sold? There's one Christmas song that is the number one ranking Single record that has ever been sold. Single, not an album, but a single record. Do you know who it is? Bing Crosby's White Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It has sold that single song back when they had records over 50 million records of Bing Crosby's White Christmas. You know, our family just loves Christmas. We've always made a big deal about Christmas at our house. Often today, in the age which we're living in, if children need something, we simply go and charge it on a credit card and pay it off over the next few months. Yet I remember a day when people didn't have credit cards and families saved all year to get that one special gift at Christmas. Today, today, gathering with friends in a restaurant is a kind of a weekly occurrence. But I remember a day when there wasn't a bunch of restaurants. And eating out was only on special occasions. So to gather with a family over a special meal like at Christmas, though today it's not as popular and as special as it was years ago, there was a day that that was the meal you look forward to all year long. When Amanda and I think of Christmas, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Yet I also understand, we also understand, the Christmas season also brings heaviness and sadness to many people. Amanda and I, likewise, never experience a Christmas without a hint of sadness. Every Christmas we remember family members who are no longer with us, for whatever reason. And Christmas celebrations of past with special people which can never be repeated. Through those sad moments, we've developed a mantra in our house that we choose to live by. And that mantra is simply this. Focus on what's left and not what's lost. Focus on what's left and not what's lost. It's easy easy to gather around the Christmas table with the regular family and focus on the one empty chair. The dad who's not there. The wife who has gone. The family member who left. The one, the grandparent whose sickness took them out of life. 
It's easy to focus on the one empty chair. And that sadness and emptiness at that moment can be overwhelming. And we all deal with it a little bit every Christmas. And we can choose, we can choose to focus on all the precious family and friends who are still at the table. Or we can succumb to the sadness of the empty chair. This Christmas, let me encourage you to decide to focus on what's left and not what's lost. Yes, maybe we can't all gather like we used to because of the virus. Maybe people can't be in your home like they once was or like they have been every other year because of the situation we're in in our nation. But instead of letting that depression and sadness and heaviness consume you this Christmas, choose to focus on what you have. Choose to focus on the blessing. Choose to focus on the ones who can be there. Choose to focus that we have technology and we can FaceTime with family members who can't be there. Choose to focus on what's left, not what's lost. This Christmas holiday is all about celebrating the coming of the Christ child. It's never changed. Christmas is about celebrating the coming of the Christ. Well, we just, we lost our jobs and we don't have the money to buy presents like we have in the past. It's going to be a bad Christmas. No, it's not. Because Christmas is all about celebrating the coming of the Christ child. We're the only people in America, the only people that it's somebody else's birthday and we expect people to give us gifts. (laughs) Only in America. It's somebody else's birthday, and we get upset if people don't give us a gift. It's not about the gifts, it's about the Christ child. This Christmas holiday is all about celebrating the coming of the Christ child, who walked into our emptiness and loss, and has given us peace for today and hope for our future. This morning, I want to do something that I normally don't do. I want to, I want to do, um, I want to get into to, uh, apologetics. Now, we called it doctrine. The, the, the young movement of today, uh, and when I was in uh, seminary, they called it apologetics. But, but you didn't want to mess with apologetics. Yeah, apologetics. Oh, man, we don't want to get in that. So that's theology. That's doctrine. We don't want to do, we want something alive. And you know, the other day I was looking on uh, social media and, and I saw our REACH Youth Ministry social media and they had an old, whole 30 minutes set out for apologetics. And I said, what in the world is this? He said, young people today want to know. They have a thirst and a craving to know. They want to know why we believe what we believe and what caused us to believe what we believe and why we think that way. So this morning I want to, I want to talk to you um, uh, about uh, one doctrine that we often forget when it comes to Christmas. It's kind of overlooked in all of the presents and all the music and all the drums and, and all the, the festivities and the lights and the parties and the meals. But if without this one doctrine, without this one um, teaching and this one truth, you and I would never be here today. It is fundamental to our Christian faith. And that one teaching is the teaching of the virgin birth. It's the Christmas miracle, the virgin birth. We believe at Family Worship Center. We literally believe that Christ was born of a virgin. 
we believe in the virgin birth. And let me tell you, I want to tell you this morning why it's so important to this Christmas for us to lock in on the importance of the virgin birth. Often overlooked and even forgotten in the majesty of Christmas is one vital and miraculous ingredient that Christmas and our faith depends on, the virgin birth. So this morning, I want us to look at it real quickly. We read about it every Christmas season, but without the miracle of the virgin birth, we would not be here today on December the 6th, 2020. You see, roughly 2,000 years ago, a young woman from the town of Nazareth named Mary was visited by an angel named Gabriel. Gabriel told this young woman that she would have a son named Jesus and that he would be the son of God. At this time, Mary was engaged to her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. We read it in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Go back over there to Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. Notice what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, his kingdom will never end. That's what the angel Gabriel told Mary, the young virgin. Now, her soon-to-be husband, her fiancé, we would call him, Joseph, when he heard this, you can imagine that he was disturbed. He was confused because he didn't believe Mary. Remember, the angel at this time did not appear to Joseph. She appeared to Mary. And all of a sudden, Mary comes in and says, I'm pregnant. Well, what do you think he's thinking? I told you that boy down on the, that works on those wheels down there on the, down the next road over. I told you he's going, he, he was after you. I told you that. And he didn't, he was confused. He was disturbed. Then the angel appeared to get, uh, Joseph in a dream. The angel Gabriel visited Joseph and told him that Mary would become pregnant from the Lord and that she would have a son by the name of Jesus who would save the people from their sins. We pick it up in Matthew. Turn back to Matthew, the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For with for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by Joe Blow down the street. And she will have a son, 
And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 7, 14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was written by Isaiah several hundred years before this event ever occurred. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord Mary and took Mary as his wife. Or, or he, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Verse 25. But he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. You see, the virgin birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ are the two miraculous events that our Christian faith depend on. Christmas is not just about Santa Claus. And it's not just about gifts. And it's not just about family gatherings. All of those things are wonderful and great. Christmas is not just about the Christmas carols. We love to sing them and they're dynamic. Christmas is not just about presents. It's not just about catchy Phrases and slogans. Christmas is not just about lights and the tinsels that hang so beautifully. All of that is, it adds to it and it's wonderful. And we all look forward to all of that. But let us never forget that Christmas is the celebration of one of the two most miraculous things that the Christian faith stands upon. And one of them is the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the virgin birth for just a second. Why was it so important for Jesus to be born of a virgin? The first reason is this. The virgin birth identified who the Messiah was. The virgin birth identified who the Messiah was. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that in the last days many will be coming and, and being deceiving many saying, I am the Christ. The Bible says there will be many false Christs. Throughout the ages, there's always been some deceptive people who would say, there's the Christ, go find him. There's the Christ, go listen to him. There's the Messiah. There have been false messiahs all through the ages. But there was one sign that the prophet said that the real Messiah would have that no other person has ever been able to claim as a sign for their life. The virgin birth identified who the Messiah was. For us to know who the Messiah was, there had to be some form of indication. Some very specific, detailed marker that would make it abundantly clear that sign was the virgin birth. Without that, how would you be able to identify who the true Messiah was? Thankfully, God used the uniqueness of His birth as a way of setting Him apart. There are over 300 prophecies in the Bible of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 300 prophecies in the Bible of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ before he was ever born. Several of them point directly to Messiah's virgin birth. In fact, you can go back to the very first book, the book of Genesis. The book of beginnings. It points to Messiah's virgin birth. Look with me at Genesis chapter 3. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. How many brought your Bibles? We're doing apologetics. Glory to God. 
Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. So the Lord said to the servant... See, this is in the Garden of Eden. I mean, this is at the very beginning. So the Lord said to the servant, Because you have done this, because you've deceived Adam and Eve, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity... That word enmity means hostility, ill will, and hatred. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And notice this next phrase. Between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was a prophecy from God about the coming of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. God warned Satan. That enmity, hostility, ill will, hatred will exist between Eve's seed and Satan's seed. And the choice of words here is meant to catch the reader's attention since a woman does not have seed. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and his seed. He says, I'm going to put enmity between Satan's seed and the woman's seed. Understand, the prophet Isaiah also specifically foretold of Christ being born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. What does a sign do? A sign points you towards something. That's what a sign does. A sign points you toward something. The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And then the apostle Matthew listed the genealogy of Jesus and each generation. Matthew lists the father begetting a child until he gets to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. You go through the first chapter of Matthew and it'll say, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and he begat so-and-so, and he begat so-and-so, and he begat so-and-so, and Abner begat Josiah, and Josiah begat Obadiah, and Obadiah begat Sokaniah, and Sokaniah begat... And he just goes on, it's always the man begetting, the man begetting, the man begetting. Until you get down to verse 16. Verse 16 says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Notice he didn't say, Jacob was the father of Joseph, and Joseph begat. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, and then he identified Joseph as not as the father of Jesus, but as the husband of Mary. And then Mary begat Jesus the Messiah. The Apostle Matthew refers to Joseph as the husband of Mary, not the father of Jesus. See, Jesus, Jesus is the only one in all of human history who can lay hold to the claim of being born of a virgin. No other person can say this. This was simply the first in a long line of things in Jesus' life that defined who he was. This one event, however, separated Jesus from the rest of humanity. Jesus being born of a virgin was a sign that he would be Emmanuel, 
God with us. Without this sign and the virgin birth, Jesus is just like the rest of us. Just like the rest of us. And if that were true, then there would no way he would ever truly be a savior if he was just like us. So understand the first reason that the virgin birth is so important. It identifies who the Messiah would be. And over and over and over again in the Bible, the Bible talks about Jesus being born of a virgin. The second reason. The second reason the virgin birth is so important and why we need to celebrate it this Christmas. The virgin birth confirms that Christ was holy. Bypassing the curse of sin upon mankind. Now, this is so important. Now, you say, man, Pastor, this ain't exciting. It is. If you realize the importance of it, you can't be a Christmas Christian without this. We We can celebrate Santa Claus, but we can't celebrate Christmas without this truth. That Christ was born of a virgin. The virgin birth confirms that Christ was holy. Therefore, bypassing the curse of sin upon mankind. Look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Talking about Joseph. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. How could a holy God... Be born into this world and not be virgin born. How can a holy God be born and not be virgin born? If he had not been virgin born, he would have been a sinner who had a human father and a human mother. This is the ultimate reason for Christ's birth. It's because he was born holy. He never forsook or gave away His holiness. He's a holy God. And He was virgin born so that He could maintain His holiness. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Turn over to Romans chapter 5 verse number 12. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Look what it says. Now this excites me. Romans 12. When Adam sinned, that's humans, human beings... When man, we could say when man sinned, sin entered the world. How did sin enter the world? It came through man's sin. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. So everyone has been born a sinner since Adam's sin. Everyone, death and sin has spread to everyone. This verse tells us that sin entered the world through Adam and then sin spread to everyone. Sin is like the coronavirus. It's infectious. You don't go pick it up somewhere. When you were born, it was automatically on you. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 18. Romans 5 verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin... Brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. The message is very simple. Adam caused the whole human race to fall into sin. And every one of us became sinners. And anyone born into this world as a man and a woman is a sinner. 
David said it so eloquently and correctly in Psalm chapter 51. Turn over to Psalm chapter 51, verse number 5. Psalm chapter 51, verse number 5. David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. If Jesus would have been born as any other man, he would have been born with the imputed guilt of Adam. Apologetics. He would have inherited the guilt and sinful nature of any other man. Therefore, Christ, Jesus, would have been incapable of imputing or transferring his perfect righteousness to us because he would have been unrighteous himself. Do you see? Our whole faith rests upon this. He could not have transferred his... The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, listen, do you listen to this? Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. Listen to Ephesians 2 8. You Baptists know this verse by heart. Ephesians 2 8. For by grace you have been saved. Baptists know Ephesians 2 8. Pentecostals know Acts 2. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. That's that Pentecostal. The Baptist, this is your verse. For you've been, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Now listen to what that's saying in, in thinking about the, the virgin birth. You and I can't be saved by our works. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good things. We can't go to church enough. We can't love enough. We can't pray enough. We can't read enough scripture. We can't memorize enough scripture. We cannot serve our community enough to be saved. We can't do it. It's not of works, the Bible says, lest any man should boast. So if it's not of works, it is a gift of God, the Bible says. It's a gift. How did God give us that gift if he had been born as we were born into sin? He gave us the gift of righteousness because he was born holy. He was born of a virgin. And because he was not born in sin, but born holy of a virgin, therefore he was able to impute or transfer his righteousness as a gift to us. Our faith rests upon the virgin birth. Our faith rests upon it. The virgin birth. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. And died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. A holy God left a holy heaven. 
born supernaturally, remarkably, spectacularly, as no other person ever born of a virgin. Prophesied hundreds of years before he showed up. This is who you look for. This is who you look for. You will receive a sign. A virgin shall conceive and he shall be born of a virgin. And at just the right time, Christ showed up. A holy God came to an unholy earth and gave his holy life for unholy people and transferred his holiness onto us. A holy God came to earth supernaturally, born to a virgin, lived a sinless life and took our sin, paid the price for our sin, and gave us his righteousness. Second Corinthians 5.21 For he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The word righteousness there literally means right standing. When you, when you get the revelation that you are in right standing with God, not by your works, not by your actions, not even by your praying, but by what Jesus did for us. He transferred, He gave us His righteousness. He never lost his right standing with God when he came to a sinful world. When we were born, we were separated from God. He never lost it because he was born of a virgin. And then he transferred that righteousness unto us. You and I would still be working toward our salvation if he had not been born of a virgin. But because he was born of a virgin... And that's what Christmas is all about. Celebrating this miraculous event, the virgin birth. Because he was born of a virgin, we can come boldly to the throne room of grace and obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need this Christmas. So um, in all of your celebration, in all of our food, in all of our festivities, in all the shopping, in all the buying, And all of those things are just fantastic. Please don't forget that the most important thing about Christmas is the prophecy came true. God came to earth through a virgin. And because he did, we are righteous today. Stand with me, would you? you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior this would be a wonderful moment to do that if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you know something's been working on you something's been telling you you need to give your heart to the Lord you might have been gone to church with your parents or grandparents when you were younger but there's something on the inside tells you you've never personally asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior and if you would like to ask him to come into your heart today, I'd like to pray with you. Would you, uh, if that's you and you'd like to pray and ask Christ to come in your heart today, would you slip up your hand? Just slip it up real quickly. Anybody in this room, just slip it up. I, we'll just pray a simple prayer 
and transformation will take place. Anyone real quickly? Just just accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not hard. It's a very easy thing to do. He did the hard stuff. He died for you 2,000 years ago. He just says, now all you have to do is accept me. Believe what I've done for you. It's a gift. It's the Christmas gift that never stops giving. Anyone here would like to pray and ask Christ to come into your heart? All right. We're so glad you're here today. Thank you for coming. Next Sunday morning is one of the highlights of the year. It's our big children's Christmas musical. Now, this is not your regular little Christmas play. This is a big thing. And they've been working for five months on this. Every one of them's got microphones. They're singing. They're acting. They're dancing. It's, it's, if you've ever been to one of our children's presentations, you know it rivals anything done downtown in the arts department. So you don't want to miss that. Then on the 20th, I'll be back preaching again. And then the 20th that night, or, or that morning, the 20th, Tim Pardon will be here piano concert, one of the greatest pianists in all of gospel music. And then that night at 4.30 and 6 on the 20th will be our annual family Christmas communion that we'll have here. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful December. I want to thank you for being a part of Family Worship Center. If you're visiting with us today, if you'll fill out that card and take it right back there in that back corner, there's a beautiful lady back there. If you'll give her the card, she'll give you your a gift card. Our way of saying thanks for coming to Family Worship Center. Let me say it one more time. Thank you for coming. Thank you for loving your church. Thank you for being faithful to church. Thank you for pushing through and being here. Your church needs you. Thank you. Now, Father... No evil shall befall these people. The COVID is running rampant. And we declare it is off limits to the people of Family Worship Center. We speak the healing name of Jesus over our people. Lord, give us supernatural wisdom on where to go, where not to go. Give us supernatural wisdom on how to protect ourselves and our bodies. And I pray for our church family who've contracted this disease. I speak healing over them. Brother Berlin Thornton in the hospital this morning. I speak healing over his body. I declare it in Jesus' name. Others of our church family who are sick and at home, I speak healing over their body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the God that heals us. You are the God that heals us. Our hope is in you. We thank you for medicine. But our hope is in you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you are the healer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Be blessed. Have a great week.